Hi, everybody. This is On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. I'm Becky Vivi. On Tuesday, we hosted a live version of the show at the Chicago Cultural Center, featuring a wonderful panel of reporters. We covered a lot. We talked about whether or not Illinois voters will play a part in determining who takes the U.S. House of Representatives this November. We speculated what J.B. Pritzker might do if he wins the governor's race and has Democratic supermajorities in the state legislature. We also asked what Governor Rauner might do with four more years in divided government. And we also imagined what Illinois would look like if Tony Soprano were governor. Joining me on stage were WBEZ state politics reporters Dave McKinney and Tony Arnold, WGN political reporter Taman Bradley, Univision reporter Mariano Giles, and from NBC5 Chicago, political reporter Marianne Ahern. We're going to play you a few parts of the conversation, and we'll pick it up from when I asked the panel to describe what voters in their communities are most concerned about this election. Uh, once we had the panel out here, for each of you to take off your reporter hats for a second and to tell us where you live in your communities, what are people most concerned about this election? What issues are they voting on? And we can start with Dave and Tony. I know you live across the street from one another. <laughs> yeah, literally. do actually. Yeah. No, I, I just say um, my friends think of Springfield as over there. These are people who aren't the most engaged, but recognize faces on TV, I'd say. And I think, I think they would vote. <laughs> and if they do, I think what would motivate them is, is really D.C. Um, that's kind of where they are. They'd be reacting against Trump, I'd say. Dave? I mean, I, I think it's the same way. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, there's, a, there's definite energy with this campaign. People, I think, are going to vote in, in the city especially. Um, you know, I, I I hear a lot of talk about just sort of a, a local issue in Bucktown, and it's it's got nothing to do with the state of Illinois, really. It's the the Lincoln Yard project. What's going to happen with that? Are we going to have you know seventy story skyscrapers there that it, you know block out the sun and everything? I mean, there's a lot of you know issue with that. Of course, that's an Amazon HQ two possibility there. So people Save are kind that of wondering for February. about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marianne. But you know what? The issue that I keep hearing is not the November race. It's the mayor's race. Everyone keeps asking, who's going to win for mayor? Who is it going to be? And I find that interesting. I try to say, can you wait till November 7th? Can we just wait, please? (laughs) But we can't seem to wait because other stories keep coming up involving the mayor's race. So I hope there is still a decent, good turnout for the November contest and the folks aren't turned off. Mm -hmm. Mariano? For the November ballot, the, the, the main issue is the lack of uh, choices. No? We have to, um, well, in Spanish, we don't have the billionaire word. We call it multi-thousand millionaire or whatever you want to call it. So we have two rich people uh, running for, for governorship, and nobody feels at least close to them. And the other issue is the, 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 the the things that Rauner said about undocumented people like a couple of weeks ago during the debate at uh, the Sun-Times where he linked undocumented immigrants to crime and unemployment in the city of Chicago. So a lot of people are very, very bugged about that. So I live in the South Loop about a mile from here, and people understand who the candidates are, and they identify with each candidate based on the negative ad. And so Pritzker is the billionaire, the big guy, 
Rauner is the, the failure, the, the guy that didn't take care of the veterans and had the budget standoff. And so I was struck by it. We, we played those clips. It was all negative. We weren't really discussing issues. Yes, we talked about the graduated income tax. But so people aren't focused on issues. So I would just say as someone who lives South Loop, what's on folks' minds is traffic. And uh, I, I would say this. If I were running for mayor of Chicago, I'd say I'm going to make Chicago livable. It doesn't seem livable with traffic and construction projects and, and cranes and lack of affordable housing. That's, yeah. Maybe Save I just launched my campaign too, tonight yeah. on WBZ. <laughs> I'm kidding. You forgot potholes. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the about Congress, about what's happening in Washington, D.C. So we know there are a lot of local issues, and we'll get, we'll get to some of them, but I do want to talk about local races and how they fit into the congressional elections. Um, what role will Illinois play, if any, in changing the makeup of Congress? A big role, because there are some 25 districts across the country that could flip, Republican districts that may flip. And in Illinois, we're talking four of them, and four of them that are competitive, that folks are saying, whoa, wait a second. First of all, close to us, it's the roscombe caston race, then the sixth. And the other one is the 14th, Haltgren versus Underwood. Where are those geographically for people who maybe don't know the sixth? And the well, Roscombe and Caston would be Wheaton and the sixth district out that way. And of course, it's got this lovely, you know, the way it's skewed. The, the, Fabulously the gerrymandered. Yeah, it, it is quite interesting. It's from Barrington, and then it comes all the way down into parts of uh, Naperville a little bit, I believe. But 14th is more Naperville. But yeah, it's an, it, they're all awesome. Oddly drawn, but that one is particularly oddly drawn. I, I would just add there are some big national issues playing out in those contests. So, so Peter Roskam, longtime Republican congressman, is the author of the GOP tax cut plan. He really pushed, helped draft that bill. He's in Republican leadership, so he's very loyal to the GOP. And so, Sean Casson is a scientist, a businessman, uh, someone uh, liked there in the district. And uh, Congressional Six voted for Hillary Clinton yep. in 2016 uh, over Donald Trump, but they sent Peter Roscombe back to Congress. So that's one uh, where Democrats very much want. But Roscombe is well-financed. Uh, there's money coming in from, from Washington on his behalf. The same is true for Kasten. So the tax cuts, uh, whereas it's a wealthier district and some very wealthy suburbs up there, uh, is something that connects with some people, but the majority of people, it, it doesn't. Polls show that the tax cuts, the GOP tax cuts, are not very popular. And so Sean Kasten is using that against Roscom. Roscom said that he would run on the tax cut, but if you look at his advertising, his television commercials, he's not talking about the tax cuts. He's talking about Sean Kasten's record as a lobbyist and some of his business background. Yeah, that's because the six districts ha has some middle-class families that own properties, and to those families that the tax cut wasn't helpful at all. The thing with the 14th district is that it has a big chunk of rural area, and that rural area, uh, despite the uh, tariffs, it's going to still vote red. So with Roskam in the 6th, and it's Holtgren is the incumbent in the 14th, is it there 
is their um, connection to the president helping or hurting them, or a little bit of both, depending well, on who you're talking to? They're walking a fine line. They're walking a fine line with the president. And it's interesting, just recently, Mike Pence was in, ta- in, in Springfield, but other Republican uh, candidates for Congress were also invited to be there. Mike Pence is more okay with a lot of these folks in those districts than Trump. So... Yes. And the other big issue, not only in the 6th, but the 14th with Hultgren and Underwood is Obamacare, is health care. And that is really what has gotten the Democrats excited in those districts. And the candidate, the Democratic candidate in 14, Lauren Underwood, a nurse, launched her campaign because she says that Hultgren had promised he would not vote to repeal the measure in the Affordable Care Act uh, that requires that you cover people with pre-existing conditions. And so the GOP replacement for Obamacare uh, took that away, and she says that inspired her to get into the race. So health care is, is a complicated issue. I think whereas people uh, don't like the, the cost of the Affordable Care Act, they're concerned that Republicans haven't presented uh, an alternative that works. And she herself, Lauren Underwood, has a pre-existing condition. In she many does. of she her ads, heart she talks about that. Yes. All right. I did want to touch on another district, the third district. This is mostly in the south suburbs. We have Representative Dan Lipinski. His family's held that seat for many years. He's up against a self-proclaimed Nazi, and I'm just wondering how that happened. Well, I, I, so I asked the chairman of the Republican Party in Illinois, Tim Schneider, uh, how does that happen? And, and so what he would argues is uh, Mike Madigan, also the chair of the Democratic Party in Illinois, makes it difficult for Republicans to find candidates because he makes sure uh, that there are ballot challenges. He makes sure that uh, these become very expensive contests. And Congressional 3 is tricky because Lipinski is... Uh, very much a centrist-type Democrat. It's a Catholic district. He is uh, anti-abortion rights. Uh, and so there, it, it, it's hard for a Republican to win. Also, his dad had the seat. He's popular there. Now, now, is that an excuse for why you allow a Nazi to have your, your, your brand and, and get on the ballot? There is no excuse for that, but that's what the uh, Republicans are saying. There, there is, is some right. Oh, there is a write-in. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, oh, no. Justin Hanson, I believe, is his name. Yes, there is a write-in as well. And how's his campaign going? Well, he's gotten some buzz. Obviously, he's going to lead a lot more. And I, in running against Lipinski, is going to be quite tough. But I think the effort is to not have our Jones do well at all in the, in the third. Well, Justin Hansen's a pretty easy name to spell. Um, let's, uh, let's talk really quickly about the Attorney General of Illinois. We have an open Attorney General seat. Uh, who, let's establish first, what does the Attorney General do? Okay, what does the Attorney General do? Uh, they protect us as consumers. They protect the state of Illinois against the outreach of the federal government. That's what they should do. And they fight corruption. But at this point, we are facing two choices, fighting corruption or defending ourselves from the federal government. That seems to be the, 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 the positions of Erica, of Erica Holder and, uh, and, and Kwame Rowold. So uh, at this point, it's a choice between that Corruption, are we going to keep on uh, allowing our state to go to hell with, with the corruption as it is right now? Or we are going to, to fight uh, the Trump administration that 
reaching, that's in, it's impacting our healthcare, it's impacting in our immigration issues, and mm-hmm. it's really difficult. Uh, so Erica Harold, I was just going to say, Mario raises a great point because Erica Harold says she'll she'll she's fight the Republican corruption. Candidate. She's the Republican. Uh, the other side, Kwame Rowe and the Democrats, have tried to define her as extreme. And if you see in commercials, uh, they mention uh, her past views on same-sex marriage, uh, issues that she had with with gay adoption when she read. So, by the way, she was a Miss America, mm-hmm. if you didn't know that. Miss Illinois, too. Yeah, she was Miss well, Illinois you first. You have to be Miss Illinois first. Yeah. We've got Erica Harold, who's the Republican on the ticket. We've got Kwame Raul. Uh, someone tell us a little bit more about Kwame Raul. State Senator uh, actually took over the seat that uh, Senator Barack, State Senator Barack Obama had held before that. Uh, has been now in the legislature, what, 10, 12 years, um, has been eyeing future office, has been kind of looking around, you know, what might be the best fit. The day that Lisa Madigan said she was not going to run, he was the first one out of the gate that said, yes, 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 this is what I want to do. He has, um, if you say pay your dues, has certainly done that as a state senator, um, has been a champion of... of, uh, justice reform, criminal justice reform, but he has uh, obviously worked hard to uh, keep up his name recognition, and Erica Harold is a formidable candidate. This is a woman who uh, attended Harvard Law, who is very, very adept in front of the camera. At a couple of the debates that I have watched, if you sit and listen to her, she's quite strong. Now, whether or not you agree with her views, that's another story. But if you just stop and listen to her and hear what she she presents herself very well. Um, We did get a question from the audience, and it's somewhat related, but I want to work it in here because there's been a lot of talk about corruption and House Speaker Michael Madigan. And someone wants to know, why does Michael Madigan have so much power, and can we expect him to go anywhere anytime soon? Who wants that one? You know what? He's, he has, uh, I, I, I was in first grade in 1971, <laughs> and that's the first year that he I took born. office. You weren't no, born. No. That, that's the first year he took office in the Illinois House. And, and you know, he has the benefit of, of, I think, good genes. He's healthy, you know, so he's got a long, long life. He eats fish. He eats apples every day for lunch, you know, and, and so he's got that. But he's, he's just a he's, a, he's a very shrewd politician. He knows his... His, uh, his district, his ward, I mean, he's all, always been about constituent services where you go into that southwest side uh, district and it seems like every street is, you know, there's, it's just kept up there and, and that's in large part because of him. And so he draws the boundaries. It's a safe, safe district for him every year. I mean, he, he had a challenge, you know, in, in that district uh, the last cycle that a lot of money was spent, but, but it, he just creamed his opponent. And, and so I think as long as he, he remains in good health, he sticks around for, you know, he, he might even die in office. Well, I would just say, too, to, to, I mean, somebody who's been around this long, it's interesting to watch him maneuver politically in 2018, considering, um, A, that Rauners spent millions of dollars to beat up the Madigan name, even in off-year elections, just, just because he felt like it. B, um, that... How Madigan has embraced the Chewy Garcia or Bernie Sanders part of the Democratic Party, and as chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party, he's trying to, you know, keep the people who want Medicare for all with the people who don't, and and keep them all to, together to, you know, elect Democrats this fall. And then when you add that with 
the recent scandals with Madigan, which have been uh, surrounding his handling of sexual harassment, and how he didn't really handle it uh, well at all when, his, when, when allegations were coming out against his own members or against other Democrats in Springfield. Um, he's come around and, and taken it much more seriously, but it, it, he kind of had to be dragged for weeks before he, he finally put together committees or put together legislation to pass about how the, the culture in the Capitol building in Springfield could be changed. You know, there's a very quick story about him that, that I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how election night turns out. When, when Rauner was elected in November of 14, um, the two of them got together for a breakfast meeting uh, in December of that year, and it was the first time Madigan and the governor-elect were meeting. And, you know, when they sit down at the table, Madigan pulls this index card out from his coat pocket, and on, on the name of it, is a listing of every governor going back to Richard Ogilvy that, that Madigan had served under. And so Madigan just hands the card to him, and there's a message with that. You know, I survived these people. I'm going to outlive you as well. And, and it, you know, Rauner, Rauner has told that story many times, but it's just like, you know, that's, you know, you don't even give the guy, like, he doesn't even get a honeymoon period. He, you know, Madigan takes the gloves off right out of the gate, and, and it, it was... You know, that's typical Madigan. Right. We have a question from the audience, too. If Pritzker wins and Dems retain their hold on the legislature, what can we expect them to do with it? If Rauner wins and Dems stay in power, what can we expect for the next four years? Wow. That is a tough one because you wonder, will it be more of the same that we've already seen, especially with Madigan as the speaker? At the same time, as you've just said, wearing the collar is something that they're not, they don't want to have on their back as well. Here is this promise of a graduated income tax that's going to take a referendum, that's going to take the lawmakers to agree. Um, I don't think we're going to see big change immediately. It's the long range, a couple of years it will take for any kind of change to percolate. And, and, you know, I mean, this idea of a graduated income tax, if, if Pritzker wins, it's, it's not going to be easy getting that through the legislature, and here's why. In, in the Illinois House with Madigan, I, I think his first and foremost thing always is retaining control of the Illinois House. And, and he'll have members that might be in, in, you know, bubble districts where it's, you know, voting for a tax. What could be perceived as a tax increase is something he won't want them to do. And so will they get into a position where they need Republican votes for that? that that's a key thing going into this whole political dynamic that Pritzker kind of has to be concerned about. You know, will he, will he have a big enough margin, you know, to get around those targeted members that he can get this through? Well, but that's where I think the billionaire takeover makes a difference because Pritzker's money will go into a campaign to get the graduated income tax on the ballot so that the Constitution can be amended. So I think his outside money potentially gives the the legislature some cover in the short term. You're saying that he would stand up to Mike Madigan? If Madigan says no to the graduated income tax, I don't see how Do you think he didn't consult him? I mean, because at the end of the day, I think, I think, regardless of who wins, we know who, 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 where the power resides. Huh? I think, you know, and maybe I'm naive to make this prediction, but I, I think J.B. Pritzker could be the beginning of the end of Mike Madigan. Why? If Pritzker wins, he will have survived Rauner, who was a threat and a threat who put his money where his mouth was in taking him on. Um, and at some point, he's got to leave, and you would have, and and he would be able to get his wish list 
with a Democratic legislature, a Democratic governor. I think he'd be a little more forceful in telling us now where, what is middle class. He can't even answer that question. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, someone in the audience wants to know, can a normal person even win public office anymore unless they're super rich? <laughs> is that, I mean, it's like you have to be super rich to even run. Even at the lower levels, you're saying that the top leaders, their money is what fuels the smaller candidates. It's hard. Uh, I mean, there, there, there are cases across the country, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, in New York, uh, but that was a district that, that had a lot of Latinos that, that, that probably should have had someone who looked and sounded like her. Uh, it is, it's, look, we, we as a state, as a country, uh, need to do something about money and politics. It, it's not a situation whereby you can have the best ideas and have un, uh, enough money to be competitive. You'll be drowned out. For example, in the Democratic primary, Daniel Biss had $7 million. That's enough money to get you on TV. You saw his commercials talking about being the middle-class governor. J.B. Pritzker spent uh, $68 million, okay? Like, you can't beat that. All right, we have one final question that I want to give to all of the panelists. It's sort of a lighter question, a funny question. It's not about any particular party or candidate. And the question is, if you could vote for a fictional character this election, who would it be, and for what office would you elect them? Who wants to start? Fictional character, any fictional character. Well, I would, I would say, look, we, uh, next year we need a mayor. Um, it's an open seat. And I think you would want somebody who um, understands healthcare, um, understands a good mystery to solve, like maybe the underfunded pensions or how to fund those, or knows the criminal justice system from the inside um, out and actually lives in Chicago, uh, because as we know, you have to live in Chicago for a year um, to be mayor. And I think I would say for me... I'd be interested in seeing a campaign from Dr. Richard Kimball, the fugitive, uh, who I think would run a great campaign. He's got name recognition, too, you know? Think about that. Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Gerard for uh, his head of security. So I'll go with uh, Chicago mayor. Tough job. We need a tough person. We need somebody who can unite us. I think we need someone bulletproof. Luke Cage. <laughs> All right. I, I was thinking of this Mexican superhero called Calimán el Mentalista, the mentalist, because we, we're going to need someone uh, for governorship that really can interpret what we really want. <laughs> because we've been talking about this for a long time, and, and it doesn't seem to, to, to be clear what we want as voters. So we need a mentalist. Okay, for governor. Right. I'm, I'm looking ahead to 2020, and my favorite TV show is Madam Secretary. So I have to go with that. You know, maybe it's that I just like Tia Leone. She's, you know, quite with it and smart and, you know, seems to solve all the world troubles and former CIA agent, you know, all of that. So I'm going to go with Madam Secretary. For president. Got it. That's good. Dave? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's sort of a toss-up. I mean, you know, the... You know, I want somebody to run for governor who's honest and virtuous and, you know, Atticus Finch-like, but at the same time, that's kind of bland, and I think, you know, it's been a while since we've had a corrupt governor, thoroughly corrupt, so I'm saying Tony Soprano. Oh! For governor? For governor, why not? All right, why not? Why not? Let's just go big or go home, Illinois. 
right. That is all for this episode of On Background, the WBEZ Politics Podcast. Special thanks to our panelists. Give them a round of applause. We hope you enjoyed excerpts from our very first live event. Special thanks to WBEZ's Dave McKinney and Tony Arnold, WGN's Taman Bradley, Univision's Mariano Gilis, and from NBC5, Marianne Ahern. Also, huge kudos to our WBEZ volunteers who helped out at the event. Our events team, Amin Sinji, Mari Diolio, Sarah Balama, and Simon Tran. Special thanks to Shelly Stevens for engineering. Also, Sylvia Rivera and Adrian Glover at our sister station, Vocalo 91.1 FM, for helping us get the word out and producing a wonderful playlist for our live event. Our editors are Kate Cahan and Alex Keefe. Our producer is Justin Bull. Our chief content officer is Steve Edwards. You can rate, review, subscribe, and download in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM.